0: At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.
1: This is Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. What a play! Can you believe this? <laughs> no, I can't. It's time to dominate your fantasy league. Off to
2: the races, and he stays on his feet. It's just going to go the distance.
1: Now, here's some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, and Heath. Welcome to Fantasy Football Today, Dynasty. I am your host, Heath Cummings, and the gang is back together again. I am joined today by Dan Schneier, fresh back with his nice tan from vacation. I've got Dave Richard. Dave, you look tan as well, but you always do. You guys ready to
0: talk about some rankings, risers, and fallers post-draft? Dan, how was vacation? It was great. Honestly, the, I I love the West. I mean, I'm from the East coast. I have my respect for the East coast. I live here. I, my family's here, my friends, I'm probably not going to get out of here anytime soon, but I kind of wish I was born on the West coast because Arizona I was out in Vegas last few days just for fun, but just like more so like Arizona, Colorado, like just the expansive nature out there is just amazing and breathtaking. So got to see the Grand Canyon, hike down into it, have a really funny story. I'm not going to share on this because it's too long. And I've been told my stories on the show are also too long. And I respect this. It it's true. So I'll keep that one here. But I have a funny story about hiking the Grand Canyon too to come to come away from vacation.
1: I was I was really hoping Dave that he was going to continue down that path and tell us a story that was too long about how his stories are too long.
0: Yeah. <laughs> how, how do you how do you
2: tease a funny
0: story and then not deliver the funny Because story? Dave, I've had stories on this show. I've had it run-ins with You know jamie adam who think my stories are too long so and and they are they are this is a fantasy football you know what if
1: we can get this done in 45 minutes then maybe we'll get a couple minutes (laughs) at the end for dan's vacation story (laughs) we are going to talk rankings risers and fallers i do have three questions at the start of the show per usual dan we'll start with you what rookie has moved down the most for you since the nfl draft
0: this is unfortunate and i know he said recently that nothing is wrong everything's fine i'm healthy But, I mean, what do you expect to hear from a player? And it's Tajay Spears, the running back, who was drafted to the Titans. Tajay Spears was a back who, you know, when I wrote about him for our draft profile, I said, like, this is a back who's going to get drafted a lot higher than people realize. Top 40, top 50, top 60 type range. And people are going to be like, whoa, what happened there? And he was going to become a huge dynasty asset. That didn't happen because we learned during the draft that there were questions about his medicals uh, to the point where, you know, there was a report that he doesn't even have an ACL anymore. And there's long-term concern. And in dynasty leagues, I know you don't have this long-term profile in mind anyway for all running backs, but you want to have that peace of mind that you don't have a situation here where it could be like J.J.I. who had some good years in the NFL, but never had that longevity either. Couple that with the fact that I don't like what the Titans have done on their offensive line over the last three, four years. I think it's trending in the wrong direction, despite what they may have tried to patch up recently. I don't like Will Levis long-term, and I think that will bring down the offense as well. Don't show me that clip of him rolling out with no press rush in, in OTAs and flicking a ball downfield. That means literally nothing to me. So I just don't like the landing spot, don't like the long-term health prognosis, and it sucks because he was arguably my third favorite running back to watch on tape from this class.
1: Dave, these I'll put Spears together with a guy we've talked about a lot on this show the last couple of weeks, Israel Abanacanda. Two backs who everybody had at the round one, round two turn, I think, in, in rookie-only drafts, and then the draft happened, and they've fallen to round three. John Bosch sent me two different screenshots from two different rookie drafts where he got Abanacanda in round four. Um, I just, like that they're fall, and I'm just trying to decide, like, I want both of them. They're both still in round two for me, Dave. How long can I wait to still draft those guys? And not the
2: problem them? is that all it takes is one other person in your draft to like those guys. And then you're not going to get them. So my, my rule of thumb for a rookie draft is if you're on the clock and there's a guy you really like, and he's better than everybody else that's on the clock, don't fiddle around with it. Just take the guy. And if that means early round two on a band Kanda, then that means early round two, by the way. I was thinking about a candy because I agree. I, I love his talent, a uh, little bit slicker of a, of a runner for a big dude. And I remember what my complaints were about Brees Hall last year before the season, about how the Jets, the, the coaching staff does have that 49ers mentality. They want to use multiple running backs. And they got away from that when Brees Hall got going as a rookie. And then Brees Hall tore his ACL. Might there be a chance? That yep. the coaching staff says, hey, you know what? Brees Hall is great, and we're going to get him plenty of work. No one's going to complain about it, but we're not going to give him all the work because there's no reason to do it, and we don't want him to get hurt and miss considerable time again. A is a good talent. Why not use him in the neighborhood of – I don't even know if it's going to be 10 touches a game, but it could be seven, eight touches per game and along the lines of a third of the snaps a game, if not 40% of
1: the snaps yep. a game.
2: So I, I think that there's going to be room for a to uh, be fairly useful as a rookie and beyond, just not to the point where he's going to be you know, a dominant fantasy running back as long as Brees Hall's healthy.
1: Well, I, I want to get to your veteran riser, but you you, you said the 49ers coaching staff, and I, I don't know why it can't be the Packers coaching staff. Nathaniel Hackett, now the offensive coordinator for the Jets. Right. I don't know why Brees Hall can't be Aaron Jones and well, Abana Kanda can't be A.J. Dillon.
2: Right, and and Hackett has talked in the past, including in Denver last year, about using multiple backs, and that's right. kind of one of his philosophies. I could get the information if you want it, but I'm pretty sure that there is a consistent track record of multiple backs yes. under Hackett when he's called plays, the exception being, I think, Fournette's rookie year. I think Leonard Fournette's rookie year, he had a huge majority, obviously, because it's Leonard Fournette. And they used the fourth overall
0: pick on him. Yeah. But,
2: yeah, so they had to give him that type of work. A band of Canada, they don't have anywhere close to that type of draft capital.
1: Question two, Dave, who is your biggest veteran riser? And I ask it this way because when we get to post-draft risers, we'll see veterans usually fall in dynasty rankings after the right. draft, if only because we're adding a handful of players ahead of them at the position. Who's who's a veteran who who bucked that trend and was a riser for you since the draft, Dave?
2: The one that I'm going to say is J.K. Dobbins, and it's a combination of his situation improving And a lot of other running backs starting to fall off because of their situations not improving. The thing that I like about Dobbins is is basically all the moves that the Ravens made uh, within a month of the NFL draft and in the draft. The fact that they signed Odell and then drafted Zay Flowers. They clearly want to try and make their offense more explosive through the air. Re-signing Lamar Jackson. And and Todd Monken saying that he's going to adapt to the strengths of his team. That's been mostly consistent over Todd Monken's career, that he just he's a guy that sees what talent he has. Okay, we're going to use it to the best of our ability. But I think it's setting up for a little bit of a different style of offense in, in Baltimore, and one that I think Dobbins can take advantage of, especially if defenses can't clog. I mean, it's the same problem for Lamar Jackson. Defenses have to account for Lamar's legs, and they might have to account for that before they account for J.K. Dobbins, uh, not not necessarily every play because some plays running downs, they're going to be in the box, they're going to be ready for whatever they've got with the run. But I think Dobbins can benefit, and I think he finished last year strong enough to make fantasy managers encouraged. And who's he sharing with? It's Gus Edwards again behind I mean, Justice, those two I think guys. think Justice Hill's back. Yeah, I mean, nothing there gets me really worried about right. Dobbins and his potential to finally start to come through on the upside that we drafted him with when he was
1: a rookie. Okay, Dan, we will play uh, the infamous game, too high, too low, or just right, <laughs> later with my dynasty risers and followers. But let's just start right now. I've got J.K. Dobbins at RB20. That is right behind Tony Pollard and Romandre Stevenson, right ahead of Rashad White and Dalvin Cook. Too high, too low, or just right for J.K. Dobbins?
0: Remind me real quick of the game. Is it? Am I giving a take or just a quick too high, too low? Because this is important. You, you can do
1: a little bit of both. Okay, you can give thing. the answer and justify it over 20 to 30 okay. seconds?
0: Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go, you are too low on J.K. Dobbins. I'm with Dave. I'm very high on J.K. Dobbins moving forward. Love the situation there. And I like that they've added these receivers around him. I think it's going to help his production. And he's 24 when the season starts. That, that is, uh,
1: he is nice uh, young.
0: younger than both
1: Pollard and Ramondre Stevenson.
0: Mm-hmm. And from the guys I watched on film last year, cause I did a bunch for Box beyond the box score. He had some of the best processing and vision that I saw of all the backs. He did a really, really good job of setting up his blocks and understanding and patiently getting through those holes. I love the, the little
1: plug for beyond the box score, which is coming back to FFT with Jacob Gibbs starting maybe this week, but definitely in the next couple of weeks. So uh, stay tuned for that. We're doing all kinds of fun things on this channel. Okay. You both get one answer to this. We'll go 30 seconds apiece. Dave, you can go first. Give me one future riser. In other words, the next time we do a risers and fallers show, who's on the show as a riser?
2: Alexander Madison. Mm. Because I don't think Dalvin Cook's going to survive as the main back in Minnesota, not without taking a serious pay cut, which, I mean, maybe he does and then he stays. But even if that happens, usually that's a precursor to losing the type of role that you're used to having. If he gets traded, if he gets cut, maybe he doesn't agree to a new contract. And I think Alexander Madison has the opportunity to step up and be the lead back for the Minnesota Vikings this year.
1: I I had the same question with Minnesota that I have with Cincinnati. If they cut Dalvin Cook, if they cut Joe Mixon, does it just – like what happens next? Do they sign Dalvin Cook or Joe Mixon for the opposite (laughs) teams? Do they sign Ezekiel Elliott? Do they sign Leonard Fournette? Do they sign Kareem Hunt? Because I think you're definitely right if it's cut Dalvin Cook and have McBride back up Alexander Madison, then Madison will be a huge riser.
2: It, it might not be McBride. It might be Ty Chandler, who I believe is as old, if not older than Madison, and he's yeah. going into his second year. But Chandler was pretty good in college. So I, it wouldn't surprise me if he's a backup, if McBride helped out. And I don't know if Madison's going to be the every down guy like Dalvin Cook was, but there's a chance of it. And he's certainly got a shot to be the short yardage goal line guy.
1: Best that, Best that, rookie pick you'd give up for him right now.
2: I'd I'd go two point oh one, maybe even a little bit higher than that.
0: Okay. Dan, who's your future riser? I'm gonna go with Javante Williams, the running back out of the Broncos. So you know, we saw we recently saw a positive report on him, which is unexpected, I think, at this stage. We all expected kind of this would be one of those drag on through training camp type situations. And I just harp back on to two things here. One, the Broncos did not make much of investment in the draft at all at running back, no investment at all at running back, which a lot of people expected them to do. So they went other routes there. And two, I think back to something you wrote about, Dave, like a long, back in January or February, I can't remember when, which was kind of breaking down the impact of Sean Payton and what he can do for oh, an yeah. offense from a yep. fantasy standpoint. And the numbers were just there. They showed you how much of an impact he can have on the running back position specifically. And I just think joining an offense, a Sean Payton offense for Javante Williams is going to be such a big thing for him. If, he, if these reports continue to go in that direction, we're just mm-hmm. going to start to see that ADP rise and rise and rise and rise. I love it. Now, I, I will say it going be hard for Williams to rise much for me until
1: he plays, but I do still have him at RB16, so I've actually got him ahead of Dobbins. I don't know that where, how that works for you two right now, but if he's healthy week one, he'll definitely be ahead of Dobbins.
2: I'll take the healthier running back, even though he's a year older.
0: Yeah, I have him high on Dobbins. I'd had Dobbins slightly higher, but I'd have them both above that range. So Dan hit on one of our news items that
1: Tajay Spears says his knee is not a problem. He can just uh he doesn't need an ACL. The best part about not having an ACL is that you can't tear your ACL. Yeah. Um,
2: and there have been players in the league that we've known that to not have a torn and to to have an ace to not have an ACL.
1: Did didn't like Taje had some some odd structure inside of his knee, correct?
2: He did. Uh, I think arthritis was a problem for him too. Yeah. Um and that, that's what kind of sidelined him, and everybody remembers what happened to Todd Gurley. Yeah. But, uh, but there are receivers. There have been quarterbacks that have mm-hmm. played in the league without ACLs, and they've had nice, solid careers. I, I don't think we should draft Spears and think, oh, well, he's definitely the guy after Derrick Henry slows down, and he'll have four or five good seasons. He may not have one good season, but he's a fun running back. He's, he's a good player, and that's why he fell in the draft is because the other teams figured – that he's got some structural issues in his knee.
1: Okay, more positive rookie news. Bijan Robinson said he lined up everywhere at minicamp, including wide receiver. Saw this note on Twitter from Nick Pinnikoff. Falcons backs ran 60 routes from the slot last year. Now, 30, th- 31 of those were Cordero Patterson. I'm not sure how many of those he's giving up. He's still going to be on the team. They ran 69 routes out wide, 38 of those from Cordero Patterson. This is the type of usage that, Unlocks running backs to be top one, top two, top three running backs. Could that happen in year one?
2: Definitely. Um, I'm going to take you on a roller coaster ride, guys. Oh, La- last year Desmond Ritter, or I'm sorry, his his last year at Cincinnati, Ritter targeted running backs on 9.6 percent of his throws. That's low. That's bad. We don't like that. Last year in Atlanta, Falcons quarterbacks. Targeted running backs on 16.5% of their throws. Uh Uh-oh, this isn't going right. We don't want this. When Desmond Ritter played last year with the Falcons, would you like to take a stab at the percentage of targets that went to running backs?
0: 20. 16. Higher
2: than 20, he thought. Yeah. 24.5%. Almost a fourth of his throws went to running backs last year.
1: Here's the problem, because I've talked about Drake London and Kyle Pitts both obviously like spectacular prospects, really, really good, should get 30% of the targets in their offense. That doesn't happen if there's a running back seeing 25% of the targets.
2: Right. So now here's the caveat to that, is that all those games were without Kyle Pitts on the field. uh, But could we make the argument that Bijan could snare an 18% target share?
1: If he does, then he's a top five running back for sure. We're drafting him as such. Right. (laughs) Yes. So, all right, let's go to you on this, On this, Dan. Ron Rivera has changed his tune about Antonio Gibson, really praising him this offseason after. Maybe it wasn't him that did. Maybe it was Scott Turner who didn't like Antonio Gibson. But anyway, says he'd really like to get him more touches this year. Gibson arguably should have been a riser with, the, with Washington not adding a running back. J.D. McKissick now no longer on the team. I've got him at RB38, which feels a little bit low
0: right now. Are you optimistic about Gibson this year? I'm not very optimistic about Gibson. I do like that you mentioned that it could be a situation where it was actually Scott Turner, their former offensive coordinator, who they've moved on from, who was kind of keeping, um, you know, keeping Gibson in the doghouse. But I just think when push comes to shove, this, this Washington offensive identity is going to be similar to how we saw it in the end of last season, when they started to win football games rather than the beginning. And that was going through Brian Robinson. So I'm just, maybe he will end up taking those snaps that, uh, McKissick was taking, but one thing that we're going to just push off like Scott Turner's, Oh, things are going to get better. Scott Turner's gone, which I personally don't agree with. Cause I thought Scott Turner was a really good coordinator on tape. He was the re like Scott Turner's offense operated through the running backs in the past game. That was the reason JD McKissick became an asset for us in PPR league. So that goes away and we have a new offensive system here. It may not even just feel like Gibson may get more of those snaps on third downs, but the targets may not be coming that way, especially with that insanely talented trio of wide receivers on the field. So, I just don't see much room for upside. And and with Gibson, for me, it's like he had a, that crazy year for fantasy where he had like what, 14 touchdowns, I think it was, or he was in the double digit touchdown range. But if you look at outside of just the touchdowns there, there weren't that like the stat, the rest of the stats didn't really exactly back up a player who I thought was going to be long term, like a top five, top 10 fantasy back. So I'm just not very high on him. Dave, the worst piece of news from the week.
1: Mm. No, well, there was lots of news, but we did the news yesterday. So Andy Dalton will take first team <laughs> reps at OTAs. <laughs> okay. Why? Now, I did see today, I believe Andy Dalton was the seventh highest graded quarterback by PFF last year. Um, so maybe they just think Andy Dalton's good. Is there any chance Andy Dalton's starting week one?
2: I mean, Bryce Young could smash up Frank Reich's car. You know, like he's coming back from a like a, a run to the store to get like you know sandwiches for the crew, and he like bangs into Frank Reich's. You know, <laughs> I I imagine him driving like a fifty-seven Chevy or something. Strikes <laughs> me okay. that type of guy. And Frank's like, dude, not cool. Dalton, you're starting week one. Uh it's injury. Uh, I, I think Bryce Young will probably be ready to go for week one. I don't think it is the type of quarterback that's gonna stink.
1: It it does bother me, and it'll bother me a lot if we get to training camp and it's still happening. We well, playing,
2: I, we it wouldn't surprise match. me if, at the start of training camp if it's still happening. Yeah. If if we get to the third week of the preseason, which is now – I guess I should say the second week of the preseason, and he's still starting. How late did it go I with remember. Minshew
1: and Trevor Lawrence? Lawrence is rookie year. Say what? How late did yeah, it go question. with Minshew and Lawrence? It was about that time, wasn't it?
2: And maybe it was. it was coaches love it. Loved at it. most it midway through. this. I just love to do this. They they play the veteran. The rookie's got to earn it, and blah blah. Bryce Young isn't sitting out week one unless he absolutely sucks
1: i feel better thank you dave okay we've got some things to promote here we're talking post-draft risers and followers today. that's because our dynasty rankings have been completely updated on the site quarterback running back wide receiver tight end there's a new top 150 and trade chart i even updated the rookie rankings you can check those all out on the dynasty landing page cbs sports fantasy page there's also new tiers this week i've got running backs And wide receivers already done, quarterback and tight end are next. I wrote today about Chris Godwin and my concern about how the offensive changes in Tampa Bay could really hurt his value this year and his long-term value. And then we'll have a Superflex startup mock draft coming next week. We've got post-draft risers and fallers right after this. So I have six players, both for risers and fallers. As I said before, we'll play the uh, too high, too low, or just right game it's really a brilliant game. I don't know how easier didn't think of that one yet. <laughs> um, I will say these risers did not rise very much. That's because as a rule, if you were a veteran, you fell during the NFL draft because more players were added to the player pool. That quarterback, the only quarterback who is ranked higher, who, veteran quarterback, who is ranked higher today than he was back in March, Lamar Jackson. Doesn't have anything to do with the draft at all. Maybe a little bit. Say Flowers gives him some more hope and upside in that receiving core. Mostly... I had concerns about Jackson's future, and even his September future, because of the contract concerns. Now he's locked down, uh, no concerns at all. He is my QB4, was QB7 back in March. I think 4 is the highest you could rank him. Nobody's going to rank him ahead of Mahomes, Allen, or Jalen Hurts. But Dave, at QB4 ahead of Burrow, ahead of Fields, ahead of, I don't know, Anthony Richardson, if you want to say that. Too high, too low, or just right for Lamar Jackson?
2: I'm going to say you're a tad too high, but if if you're locked into Lamar and and you love that upside and the potential that he can give, then (coughs) that's when you take him. That's the player that you love. Uh, I agree with you. There's no way you could take Allen, Mahomes, or Hertz uh, behind Jackson. Those three guys have to go ahead. I would take Burrow ahead. I think his longevity is, is better. I think he can be a, a very good fantasy quarterback, for a longer period of time than Lamar and Lamar might have one or two seasons where he's better on a per game basis than Burrow from here on out. But I think Burrow will, will win over the test of time. I think Justin Herbert could be better over the test of time too. And that's why I might take Herbert ahead of Lamar. Herbert's two years younger than Lamar. Herbert doesn't run like Lamar, but I think he can still be uh, a very good passer. It was just a year ago when Herbert averaged almost 26 fantasy points per game. Lamar was at twenty one point six, so I, I'm going to have a little bit of trepidation with Lamar Jackson, twenty seven years old, being QB four. But I think he's in that range still of being, you know, if if he's not top four, then what is he? Is he sixth. That's when I would take him in a dynasty startup.
1: I, I do think the the points per game thing with Lamar, and it's it, like it highlights the fact that he is an injury concern, and we're already penalizing him for that. But we shouldn't penalize him for the fact that he's had two games in the last two years where he put like ten snaps. And that's just murdered his points-per-game average. Um, I think his ceiling related to Burrow and Herbert is a different level. And his healthy floor is higher as well. But the injury is obviously concerned. Are you pretty much in the same place as Dave, Dan? Somewhere right around
0: QB6? Yeah, QB six for me exactly with Lamar. I just one thing for me with Lamar that's been a little alarming is just that the the breakaway runs have have just been very different than they were earlier in his career, and I, it's not something I see trending in the right direction. I see that trending in the in the in kind of like a graph going down direction.
1: I do want to say m- one of my favorite pieces of information is that Lamar is like three weeks younger than Joe Burrow. Um, <laughs> now, obviously, the running means longevity is still probably a concern, but he is. Younger than Joe Burrow at running back Rashad white. One of the risers went from RB 24 to RB 21. I still have a little bit of trepidation about whether that's too high um, because so much of that Tampa Bay running back production the past two years has been the fact that Tom Brady throws 750 passes and a third of them go to running backs. Um, But where, where are you at on Rashad white Dan? Do you feel okay with him as a number two running back or is that
0: a little too high? Not at all. It's too high for me. I mean, you did a great job right there, Heath, of breaking down my trepidation. A lot of that production, in my opinion, was Tom Brady related. It's just a combination of things. It's the overall volume we talked about. It's also the red zone involvement with with a quarterback like Brady and his running backs, I think, boosted White's value. And if you dig it back a little, you look at what White was as a prospect. He was an incredibly raw runner who a lot of people felt like didn't do a good job of processing runs, bounced everything outside. And then you look at the stats last year, and they kind of back up what he was like he wasn't very efficient as a runner so i don't really know like to me his long-term profile is more of just like a juiced up jd mckissick which is like if you're in pp full ppr leagues i guess there's some still some definitely some value there um but definitely not in my rb2 range for me he'd be he'd be several spots lower Okay, Dave, I want to compare him
1: to the younger guys who I have behind him since Dan thinks he needs to go down. I, I'll leave the Dalvin Cooks and Aaron Jones out of it because they're twenty, going to be 28 years old. Yeah. It's a different discussion. But So the, the guys below 25 who I have immediately behind him, James Cook, Cam Akers, DeAndre Swift, Zach Charbonnet, Devin A. Chain, and Isaiah Pacheco. Which of those guys are you taking over, Rashad White?
2: Give me the names one more time, please.
1: James Cook, Cam Akers, DeAndre Swift, Zach Charbonnet, Devin A-Chain, and Isaiah Pacheco.
2: Cook and Akers are going to go ahead. I think I'd probably take a shot on Pacheco as well. And I think that's it. Um, look, there's a chance that two years from now, Rashad White is, is no longer in a meaningful role in the NFL. And that's what worries me. I... I don't love what I see from him when I watch him play. Sometimes he does some really good things, and sometimes he just feels like he's just a guy. Um, putting him as a low-end RB2, uh, I think it's probably just right. That, that that's you, know, you didn't move him up that much after the draft, so I think that's the range for Rashad White. And you're hoping that he does really well with a big opportunity this year and that that parlays into two more years of solid production after that.
1: Oh yeah, I mean that's the thing. When you're thinking longevity, and it's kind of the same thing for me with Tyje Spears. If you're talking about a an RB three or a low end RB two or lower, man, I'm just if I get one year of you as a a top twenty running back, I'd be pretty stoked (laughs) because the floor could fall out at absolutely any moment. The other running back riser, a little bit of a cheat, it's Josh Jacobs. He was RB six before the draft. He is now my RB four. Um, Now, that's with Bijan being added in front of him. So he moved ahead of Travis Etienne. He moved ahead of Kenneth Walker. And it really has to do also with once I get past the draft and get the projections updated, I count the projections worth a little bit more. And there's only two running backs I have projected for more PPR fantasy points than Josh Jacobs this season. He'll still just be 25 years old at the start of this year. A lot of those guys we talked about in the last conversation, those low-end RB2s, that are there just because they're young. They're only a year or two younger than Josh Jacobs. Dan, I'm, I'm almost certain everybody thinks that RB4 and Dynasty is too high for Josh Jacobs. Where
0: would you have him? Slightly lower, but I'm not I don't think it's incredibly too high there at all. I like what you said. I like how you broke that down. And I think what it comes down to Jacobs, why people think it's too high is they just are concerned with like the long term future there. Um but he's still a very young running back. He entered the NFL at such a young age, and I think he had it truly his best season by far last year, not just from the stats and from the fantasy standpoint, from what you actually saw on tape. So it could just be a running back who's coming into his own right now, has shown involvement in the past game, has shown natural hands in the past game. It really has the full, complete three down profile. And if you look across the board, like you mentioned Travis Etienne's up there in the rankings with him, like I view those two assets complete, like completely different levels for me. Like, you know, I'm not very high on Travis Etienne long term. And so I'm looking at one back like Jacobs, who's a complete back and the other back who I'm still have some concerns about as a runner. So I I do like his profile a lot. I'm I'm kind of fine with it. I'm like even considering moving him up a bit into that RB top five range. I have him probably just outside of like RB six, RB seven, but I, I see the case for top five. I see Dave was just, like, nodding his
1: head in complete agreement when I said everybody's going to think RB4 is too high for yeah. Josh Jacobs. Yeah, yes, D- Dave is not yeah. – now, but here's the thing I, w- I want to think about because he was as good as almost anybody last year. We have no reason to think his role's any different this year. I don't, sure. think, the, I don't think the team's probably going to be much different than it was last year.
2: Um, well, they've got a different quarterback, and they don't have – Do they? You know – I think we've talked about <laughs> the differences between Carr and Garoppolo. And if if anything, I wonder if Garoppolo won't challenge downfield as much.
0: He's not. And maybe
2: that helps Jacobs pick up some extra catches. Here's what I worry about with Jacobs is that last year he was at 19.3 PPR points per game. Awesome. Heath, you said it. he was as good as anybody last year. The three years prior, he was below 15. He was like right around 14.1, 14.3 each year. What happens this year? This is, the, this is the, the floor scenario. What happens if he's just okay this year? Even if he gets a lot of work, does he, does he not stay in Las Vegas? Does he go with another team? Is he sharing with another team?
1: Well, when you I've, say just okay, do you mean like David Montgomery and Miles Sanders last year?
2: No, because 14 points is better than that.
1: So better than they were last year?
2: Sure. Listen, I don't think there's any debate that Josh Jacobs is like a top eight running back. Okay. It just comes down to, like, who are you taking over him? Like, no questions asked in a redraft startup. I'm taking Bijan. Mm-hmm. I'm taking Jonathan Taylor. I'm taking Saquon, who's older than him. But I'm going to do that. I'm probably going to take Brees Hall. But after that, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I can make an easy case for Ramondre Stevenson over Josh Jacobs or Tony Pollard over Josh Jacobs. So uh, he's right in this range. It really just comes down to... It's almost like what I said about Lamar Jackson. If you really like the guy and you think he's going to keep playing well, of course you take him.
1: Well, and I think you could make the argument that you should definitely take Gibbs over Jacobs if you were rebuilding. And you could maybe make the argument that you should definitely take McCaffrey and Eckler over Jacobs if you were rebuilding. When I'm looking at the values in a vacuum, he has advantages over both of those other groups um, for the other side of the argument so let's move on to the wide receivers another one in that same range Garrett Wilson goes from wide receiver seven to wide receiver five a top five dynasty wide receiver now at the Aaron Rodgers trade is complete is it that crazy to think Dave that Garrett Wilson could be number three behind only Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson by like October
2: no I, not at all and I'm just I'm with you man I'm a huge fan of his talent I loved him coming out when he was at when he was a prospect in the draft. When he went to the Jets, I got real squeamish about him because of Zach Wilson, and then Zach Wilson got benched. Aaron Rodgers came in, and now I'm loving what the short-term future is for Garrett Wilson. I've got to wonder what the long-term future is, though. Three years from now, who's his quarterback going to be? It could be Zach Wilson, and he's just a completely different guy. That would be amazing for the Jets. It could be somebody else that's, Capable and certainly better than what Zach Wilson was last year, but I keep going back to the number 17.3. That's the fantasy points per game that Wilson had last year in games without Zach Wilson on the field. And so if he's putting up 17.3 points per game with dudes like Joe Flacco and Mike White and Chris Straveler, then I can't help but think he can be better than that with even like even if it's Jimmy Garoppolo or Derek Carr, you know, an average NFL starter. I think he can. I think he can top that, and I'm hoping that he tops that this year with Aaron Rodgers.
1: I will say, Dan, there's only two two wide receivers in my top ten that I feel confident that I know who their quarterbacks will be three years from now. They yeah, are Jamar that, Chase and AJ Brown. I think they will have right. Joe Burrow and Jalen Hurts probably. Oh. Uh, other than that, I'm really not sure.
0: Yeah, I mean that the Eagles are tied to Jalen Hurts the way they did that contract. He's guaranteed to be there, but. I think one thing that I've just – this is kind of a tangent based off what Dave was talking about. I've made some mistakes in Dynasty focusing on – who these wide receivers quarterbacks are going to be and trying to project that that happened with Tyreek Hill for me that happened with DeVonte Adams with me big investments in in you know startup drafts there auction startup drafts but the idea of I'll have him tied to Aaron Rodgers or I'll have him tied to Patrick Mahomes and so much changes in the NFL that I don't want to too much prognosticate about Wilson's future quarterback but I will present a devil's advocate argument for Garrett Wilson a player who I would rank this high myself on a long-term basis but short term, I wonder if the play with Wilson is actually to try to buy him around October because I'm not so sure the hot start is actually going to happen. Think about what we know about Aaron Rodgers. He brings in Alan Lazard. Let's forget about Randall Cobb for now. Let's hope we don't have to see him on the field too much, but he brings in Alan Lazard. And Last year with Christian Watson, what happened there? It was a slow start between Rodgers and Watson. That chemistry did not develop until you know midway point in the season. Then it got really hot and heavy and he was targeting uh, Watson all in the red zone a ton and throughout the game, but you have to build that rapport with Rodgers first. And I know, look, Rodgers knows how talented Garrett Wilson is, but he has his rapport down with, with Alan Lazard. When he says, run that back shoulder fade, like he knows exactly where Lazard is going to be at each step when that ball's released and where he's, and you know, where he needs to put the football. That's not the case yet with Garrett Wilson. So I almost wonder if like we see a little bit of a slow start through four or five weeks and then it just takes off and you can have a better point to buy Wilson maybe in that, you know, that October range either that or like i said he's going to be right
1: behind Jason jefferson because he starts the year off with 300 yards yeah. in his first four games and i i do remember it was kind of struck me that when Joe Flacco was playing with Wilson early last year, he was just talking about how much different Garrett Wilson is than any of the other wide receivers on the field. And I think if Flacco, there's a good chance if Flacco saw that as soon as he started playing with him, that Rodgers makes that connection as well. Um, but we will move on to the other wide receiver. And this is where I think we may have some some fun discussions. Jahan Dotson was wide receiver 23 for me in March. And this is one where I kind of tempered my own expectations. When I first did projections, I had John Dotson ahead of Terry McLaurin this year. And I, I got a little bit nervous about it. And so I waited a couple months, and then reception, reception perception comes out. Matt Harmon, it was just glowing reports about Dotson. And then I, I just – I kind of started to buy back in. And so that's what the reason for the rise is. I'm just going to stick to my guns on Jahan Dotson as a top 24 wide receiver this season. I've actually got him two spots in Dynasty ahead of Christian Watson. There's been some discussion on Twitter about that this hmm. morning. Dotson at wide receiver 18. We'll start with you, Dan. He is just behind DK Metcalf, just ahead of Christian Watson and Jerry Judy. Too high, too low, or just right?
0: I'm going to say a little too high. Um, I wouldn't have him over a player like Christian Watson, who I think just has a different type of profile for fantasy that, in my mind, leads to potential for more points, both on a you know long play basis and then in the red zone as well. I do like John Dotson a lot as a talent, but... You know, he is attached to a team that has already paid their wide receiver one, Terry McLaurin. He's going to be there no matter what. So there isn't that, like, situation that could arise where he's the pure 140, 150 target type of guy that I think he kind of needs to be to be a wide receiver. What, do you think it may be? No, I I think there's a chance
1: that by next year and possibly this year, Jahan Dotson's just the number one and Terry McLaurin's
0: number two. Right. We talked about that We definitely disagree. We definitely disagree hard on that. I think Terry McLaurin's, like, one of the five best just pure receivers in the nfl on a wraparound basis and I actually your boy matt harmony just referenced who's also my friend as yeah. well is a huge terry mclaurin right. fan as well so he's even higher on him but i can—I mean look dodson's a great I mean, Jahan dodson's a great talent so I, so i can see where you're coming from with him potentially overtaking a player like mclaurin i just not sure i'm on paid on the same page with you even in,
1: in this Dotson versus watson discussion this was this was my case Last year, Jahan Dotson was a first-round pick. Christian Watson was a second-round pick. In their rookie years, they produced almost identical things on a per-game basis. Watson was much better per route because he was pretty much just a part-time player for two-thirds of the year. Um, But Dotson produced basically the same as him, playing with Carson Wentz and Taylor Heineke, while Christian Watson was playing with Aaron Rodgers. While Dotson had McClure in his target competition, Christian Watson had Alan Lazard. What has happened— that has caused Watson to surpass John Dotson from a year ago? Or did you guys just like Watson more than Dotson and thought the Packers got a better deal? And man, this rhyming is making it difficult.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait for open mic night at the coffee house to hear what else you have in store for us, Heath. (laughs) Um, I I think what happened was 2022 happened. And Christian Watson got on the field and in the first half of the year While Dotson was scoring touchdowns, remember he had four touchdowns in his first four games, Watson was making mistakes. But then the second half of the year comes, and we're seeing Watson make all kinds of amazing plays. He becomes a must-start fantasy wide receiver. He averaged a Garrett Wilson-like 17.2 PPR points per game in his last eight games. Now I get it. Rodgers is gone. Now it's Jordan Love. Obvious downgrade in terms of quarterback talent, accuracy, quality of target and so on and so forth but i still think that watson has the capability to a pick up a a bigger target share than jahan dotson and b be more explosive than dotson it's not to say dotson's a bad fantasy wide receiver in fact i love the idea of trying to trade for him way below Uh, the value of a top 24 wide receiver in Dynasty. That might be tricky to do, but you can just throw out that Dotson didn't even average 11 PPR points per game last year. Maybe someone's sour on him. Maybe someone would rather have one of the top four picks in this draft among wide receivers. So you might be able to trade 106 for Dotson and maybe even a pick with Dotson just so that manager gets off the Dotson train. But I think if you're patient with him, I think he's got a shot at having a very nice career and eventually Washington will get an answer at quarterback that doesn't suck. And Dotson will benefit the way that Watson benefited with Aaron Rodgers this past season. I,
1: I do just want to push back on the Christian Watson making all kinds of plays. He he had 33% of his receiving yards last year on four plays.
2: Yeah, but that's pretty good. You'd like to have guys like that on your team.
1: I would like to have guys who make more than five or six plays for the year.
0: Yeah. Um, but those but, plays, like, are the reason why you win those fantasy weeks. That's the thing. Like that, Christian, you asked. I'm just want to say one thing because he was like, you know, where where were you guys at with this last year? I had Christian Watson ranked higher than John Dotson coming into the draft, and okay. part of the reason is because that would explain that it. Thing. That would make sense. Yeah, yeah. I, he was he was in my top five. Dotson, who I liked, was just outside of my top ten. And it was a great wide receiver class, but. You know, part of the reason is for fantasy, you need those big plays. You want somebody who yeah. has the ability to take an end. Like, and they used him a lot at North Dakota State. And then with Green Bay on those, like, push passes and those end arounds, he has the ability to take that to the house on any play. Even the play he scored on with Jordan Love, like, was a routine crosser across the middle. John Dotson's not taking to the house on that play ever. And now you're getting another 11 points out of, out of somebody like Watson. So I just think there's way more big play potential. And I'm with Dave. There's more target share. For, for me, there's more potential for target share
1: yeah i i it's it's really and it might be true it's really rare to have the guy who has those spike gabe davis weeks and earns a bunch of target share right. if he could be that guy usually the guys that do that are the guys who earn a target share similar to what watson did last year usually the guys who do that are guys who are like top five fantasy
0: assets though right well, no no i don't i don't think like the guys, the guys who are get the the, tar, the tie the, i'm sorry let me let me rephrase that so the high target share with the potential with oh, also the yes. big play potential. It, it, not the Gabe Davis. He's not like this is right. a not Gabe Davis. Talk. Right, like because he has no target share, but he no. Does. I
1: just there, I think there are more Gabe Davis, Robbie Anderson okay. of that ilk for the big play sure. wide receivers. But there are a few that turn yes that turn into Justin Jefferson. Okay, one more riser, Chig Aconquo was tight end 17. The Titans did absolutely nothing to help their passing game. He is now <laughs> tight end 13. It's still a little bit concerning because the passing game is the Titans, but he's got to be the number two in terms of target share, right, Dan?
0: He has to be, right? I'm looking up and down this depth chart right now on our lads, and I, I don't know what they're doing there. Uh, I guess they're just waiting for the Will Levis error and trying to bring it along slowly. But, yeah, Ch- Chig is a player who Dave – I remember there was – I'm trying to remember which one, Dave. One of your start sit columns, um, not start sit columns, one of your lineup decision columns, you had a really good stat about Chig last year, around like week 15, week 16. Maybe you can remember this. And it was just kind of going along the same lines of what we were just talking about with Christian Watson, the the per target efficiency and the per target explosiveness yeah. uh, of what he was putting out there at that time. So anytime you have those types of players for me in fantasy, I get very excited about their upside but at the same time, I think Heath, you bring me back down because I don't really want too many pieces of this Titans fast game. I'm big on just kind of avoiding these dead pass games altogether. Uh, so it's probably a player more like I'm looking if I'm in two tight end leagues or tight end premium, I have some interest in him. But other than that, I'm not, I'm not all that interested.
1: I will say I, I was the guy who picked up Okonkwo in the Yolo league okay. as he was breaking out. And I, it's possible the stat you were referencing was in the numbers to know, but it was probably Dave's stat. It was probably, probably wasn't mine. Um, but I, I also say, like, you can't – I can't trade this guy. Um, I've got him in YOLO. He's my tight end three right. or four, and no one will give me more than a third-round rookie pick right. for him. So I think you just hold him and hope that he gets off to a good start, and then maybe somebody will give you something for him. But there is absolutely, at least in our league, zero market for adding Chig Okonkwo, stronghold. We will have a uh, some some strong sells maybe with the post-draft fallers right after this break. Okay, so we're 40 minutes in, and you're not going to get to tell your vacation story. It's okay. I'm sorry. We do. It's over. A, it's an
0: overrated story. anyway. for post
1: draft followers and to make up for it, we're going to talk Daniel Jones. So I know that you love to do that. He was my QB 12 Ooh. before the draft. Now QB 16, um, all the first three rookies taken now ahead of him in the rankings and also Deshaun Watson move back ahead of him, I've gone back and forth with those two guys. And I, I think there's a couple of things here. First, I want to kind of temperature check, Dave, on whether I'm wrong to have all three of those rookies ahead of Daniel Jones already. And then second, like it does actually, like it's easy to say, yeah, he's a faller because these guys moved ahead of him, but it does actually change the landscape of the position. If you had Daniel Jones as a borderline number one quarterback, and now there's 15 quarterbacks that people would rather have than him in a dynasty league.
2: Uh, I've come around a little bit on Jones because of what the Giants have done this offseason. They clearly want to get their passing game going. The draft with Jalen Hyatt, as an example, all the other slot receivers that they've brought in. They, they're trying to look for talent that can but make plays. That's
1: definitely. my problem. I'm, so, I'm sorry, but that's my problem. Like I came into this offseason with Jones, the top 12 quarterback, thinking the Giants will get him a number one wide receiver. They, no. they didn't at all. No,
2: not yet. No. So unless they're going to cultivate Isaiah Hodgins, Paris Campbell, Jalen Hyatt into that, or Darren Waller into that number one guy, uh, I think it's going to be a bunch of people kind of helping him out. But I kind of like that for him. I think that makes the Giants a little bit harder to defend. You know what the strengths and weaknesses are for each of these players and where you might find them on the field, but it's going to complicate defenses for sure. And if Daniel Jones... Can read specific spaces on the field like Bre- like uh, Dayball likes to have him do. He's going to make good decisions, and I-, I I think on top of that you're going to see him throw downfield a little bit more, be a little bit more aggressive. And I I'm 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 kind of talking myself into making the case for Daniel Jones. That being said, I-, I don't think he's any higher than like right around where you have him. You moved him down four spots from 12 to 16. Maybe he's like 14, 15. I'd have a hard time. I think I would have to put him behind Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud just because those guys have a pathway to easily being the starter for their teams for three-plus years. What happens to Daniel Jones if he doesn't really take that step forward this year? Does he go into a make-or-break year in 2024? What reason would we have for him to make it in 2024 when he hasn't done it before? And then he kind of fizzles out.
1: Dan QB
0: sixteen too high too low or just right? Just just a little too low. I don't want to sound like a homer here, but there's just, I mean like you put it so you you moved him behind all the top four quarterbacks. Is that correct?
1: No, three. He's behind. Okay. He's, okay. yeah, the top three. And like here's the quarterbacks that are ahead of him. Like well, the top eight, obviously. But Anthony Richardson, Kyler Murray, Bryce
0: Young, Tua, C.J. Stroud, Deshaun Watson, Dak Prescott. Okay, and he's so. gonna have to. I would have him. I would have him slightly over Stroud and Kyler Murray. Um, Kyler, to me, just at this point, like I understand the value of him, and you're going to hold him if you have him. But there's a there's a chance this could go real bad. I think with Kyler Murray, or at least to the point where he's going to move on from a t- from the team soon, and then who knows what's going to happen. On, on the like, I would have him in front of Stroud too because I don't really see much of a fantasy profile with Stroud. At least with Daniel Jones, there's rushing upside that's that's clear and obvious, and they're going to continue to use him that way because it's a big part of why the the offense moved the ball with Stroud. You're just kind of hoping he get, I guess, is like a better version of Goff, which to me is like not much of a fantasy asset, and he's on a terrible team that doesn't have any weapons. So like to me, like I think there's as good a chance that Stroud is not in a starting position as Jones is in three years from now. To be completely honest, because we don't know with these rookies and the. The Giants made the commitment to Jones. So I look at it like, yeah, they didn't get him in the wide receiver one, Heath, but they did get him a couple interesting weapons in Hyatt and Waller. And they, more importantly, in my mind, got him a center who was largely viewed as the best center in the class, which is going to help his interior offensive line protection. So, like, I'll move him up two spots ahead of where you have him. I don't want to go too high on him, but I don't know. With that rushing floor, it just feels like he, he is generally a pretty good fantasy asset so long as he has Dable and the job.
1: So I think it's interesting because I don't think we – I would say last year was closer to his rushing ceiling than his rushing floor. Okay. Um, and so we've seen him one year with Dable. We've seen him with Dable, and if that was his rushing floor with Dable, then, then you're right. If that was his rushing ceiling like I think it was, then we probably got a problem. We averaged, what, seven yards per carry or something last year?
0: Well, what what makes you think that was his ceiling from a rushing standpoint? Just the was it was it the production in the from a touchdown standpoint, or what was it? I, well, I think he also averaged like seven yards per carry, didn't he? Yeah, but a lot of those are on like design runs that they're gonna they have n- shown no sign of not you know not. I think Lamar Jackson's at six and a half Jackson. yards per carry for his career, so I think we can expect that he'll be no better than ninety percent of Lamar Jackson. That's fair. That's fair. Maybe the rushing per, maybe the, the yards per carrier is a little bit too high for sure. But I mean, a big part of what, what he did to fix Daniel Jones, Brian Dable was just say, look, you go to that first read and most quarterbacks are going to sit on that first read, what they thought was going to be there before the snap and the defense rotated. It's not there. And they sit and they sit and they sit. He says, look at that. If you don't like it, just run, just run through the V gap. So you I don't think that's going to change much until, and defenses can't really adjust too much to that because it doesn't, you know, you can't change your whole game plan to stop something like that So. I just feel like the running is going to be there until Brian, as long as Brian Dable is there with Jones. So, okay.
1: So yeah. I'm glad we have less time for the negatives. So <laughs> we do have to move just a little bit quicker than this. I'll stick with you, Dan, for DeAndre Swift. He was RB nineteen for me before this last terrible month of his career. He's now RB twenty seven. I do have him behind Rashad White. Do you have any hope with his upside that he's shown over a limited basis? And then, Dave, I'm going to come to you on Jamal Williams. We'll just do one person's takes per player so we can get get through these, but. Any hope at all that he moves back into the top twenty dynasty running backs at any point in his career? did
0: this would be the year to do it with the Eagles. So I think there is a chance that he could perception wise move back into it. It's still not a player I would buy on long term. Just don't like. I've I've talked about this with Dave on the past. I don't love his vision. And, and this is something that obviously Duce Staley and the running back coach for the Lions and the Lions. Made it clear they didn't really love either. They kept saying, You could be the greatest bag. I remember Hard Knocks last year was like, You could be the best back in the NFL, but you have to want it. And then a year later, they trade him. That just seems like an odd. (laughs) you know thing you go from you could be the best in the nfl now we just will trade you for a fifth round pick or fourth round pick so i think like for that reason philadelphia might actually be a bad spot for him to go just
1: because the one thing he did okay was catch a bunch of passes true i don't know how many times they're going to throw the ball to him dave his former teammate jamal williams things looked pretty good for jamal williams when he got traded when he got signed with the saints he could have another year as the touchdown guy and then if Kamara missed eight games maybe he'd be a must start running back for half the season then they go and draft kendry miller and I'm looking at Jamal Williams, and he's 28 years old. And my hope is maybe he could score double-digit touchdowns, but he's not going to probably do anything else.
2: I don't even know if he can score double-digit touchdowns. Remember, not only is he going to share with Kendra Miller and Alvin Kamara, but also Taysom Hill steals right. short-yardage touchdowns. So I, I think if you've got Jamal Williams on your dynasty team, he should hopefully he's a reserve running back for you. You know you're not going to get anything for him until it's the middle of the season and someone is desperate for a running back who might score a touchdown or might get you you know, 65 yards in a given week, there, there's just not a lot to really say about Jamal Williams and
1: Dynasty. All right, let's move on to wide receiver. I'm going to stay with you, Dave, for Drake London. I had a wide receiver eight before the draft, and this is more about the cluster of wide receivers between eight and 14, but he is now my wide receiver 14. I have two concerns. One, the Bijan Robinson first-round pick. Is a reminder that Arthur Smith will not be changing. He does not want to, th- even though they, they talk about throwing the ball more. He's yeah, he's, not going he to says throw the ball. he's going to do it. He says but, he's going to do it. But the a, a bigger concern is, I think there's a chance that the Falcons are somewhat successful this year. I think the Falcons mm-hmm. could be a nine and eight division winner, which probably means two more years of Arthur Smith. And so, I like I was I kind of had visions that this would be the last year Drake Lennon would have to deal with this offense the following year they'd get a new offensive system they'd get a new quarterback and London and Pitts to the absolute moon i still love drake london as a prospect i still think he's a good number 2 this year but i'm afraid we have to wait a couple of years before he becomes a true star
2: yeah i i get where you're coming from on that and i tend to agree with you also from the standpoint that the falcons defense i've been i'm doing i'm doing my research now for my projected strength of schedule series you'll read about it in the cbs sports fantasy magazine which comes out in july Uh, I kind of like their defense. I think that they've added some really nice veteran pieces. I think they'll have a pass rush this year. I think they'll defend the pass better. And I think that they're actually going to be, you know, they were in a bunch of competitive games last year, but they were trailing in the fourth quarter. Now I wonder if they're going to be playing with a lead in the fourth quarter. And I think that helps Bijan, and I think it hurts Drake London. And, you know, it comes down to, A, do they win, and B, how good is Ritter? to help them win. And if if he, if Ritter's good and they're winning, then it's almost a a big problem for Drake London's dynasty outlook because he's going to continue to see, he's going to continue to see inconsistent targets last four games with Ritter last year was like right around 13 and a half PPR points per game. That was without Kyle Pitts on the field. And I got the impression last year that Pitts is still the big play guy in that offense. And that, Drake London's like a power forward. He's almost like playing a tight end role.
1: I think that in will be that the offense. most interesting thing. I, I right now have them projected for just about the same targets, but which one of those guys is the true number one in the pass offense, if there is, um, will will be really interesting. I'm not I'm not as certain as you are that it's going to be Pitts. I think it might be London. We'll see. Dan, I'm going to go to you on the tight end because I want to get both of you on this last player. It might be a little bit controversial, but Jake Ferguson dropped from tight end 22 to tight end 34. With that – what the point here is that the Dallas Cowboys in the Dak Prescott era have thrown 100-plus balls to a tight end, and it hasn't needed to be a good tight end. It was the ghost of Jason Witten. <laughs> it was Dalton Schultz who was a blocking tight end before he became this guy. Like, so we've got Jake Ferguson. We've got Luke Schoonmaker now. When we had Matt Waldman on the program talking about tight ends, he was one of the guys who was the highest on Schoonmaker. Who do you think is the primary pass-catching tight end for the Cowboys
0: this year? I think it's going to be Schoonmaker. I think he nailed it. Um, this is bad for Jake Ferguson's value, and I hate to say it because I'm, pro- I'm propping up a Michigan Wolverine, and I'm, I'm bringing back down a Badger and Jake Ferguson, who is definitely a good athlete, but not quite the athlete of Luke Sho- Shoemaker from what I saw on tape. And I think that's going to show you don't invest that kind of capital in Shoemaker, a player who a lot of people expected to go on day three um, based on his age mostly. Um unless you're planning to get him feature, featured in the offense, you kind of could see that maybe right away you can do some of the stuff Dalton Schultz could do. And you probably don't draft him if you think Jake Ferguson could do that stuff that J- J- uh, Dalton Schultz could do. Okay, you guys, it's time to
1: talk me off the ledge with Jamison Williams. Okay. Um, and this I'm getting yeah. some Trey Lance vibes here. Like at some point you actually have to get on the football field and produce fantasy football numbers. And he will not be doing that for the first six weeks, actually for seven weeks of this season, because thereby is week six. I believe he cannot practice with the team. The total time that he's suspended, he Ooh. can't be in the building the first three weeks of the season. This is a guy who played six games last year and caught one football going down the stretch. They're playing him twenty to twenty-five percent of the snaps. He gets a target or two every week. He doesn't catch any of them. Now he's going to miss the essentially the first half of this season. I sent out a tweet earlier today, and it was actually in reference to Kadarius Tony. But I just want to read you this list of names that I think Jamison Williams is very, very much in danger of falling on this list: Kadarius Tony, Nikhil Harry, John Ross, Josh Dotson, Rashad mm-hmm. Perryman. Raquan mm. Treadwell, Kevin White, A.J. Jenkins, Jonathan Baldwin, and <laughs> Darius hayward Bay. Dave, what do those 10 names have in common?
2: I know the answer to this because I saw the tweet.
1: These are the last 10 round one rookies yes. to fail to reach 600 yards in their first two seasons combined. James yep. and Williams is going to need to average like 50 yards a game in the second 54. half of the season. 54.5. I am terrified. He was my wide receiver 24 a month ago. I was optimistic about what was going to happen this year. I hate the fact that he's going to miss the first two months of the season and the first two months of practices in season.
0: Dan, talk me off a ledge. No, I think you bring up some really good points here, Heath. I think this stat's pretty alarming. Uh, Jameson Williams was really good on film, so it's hard for me to just totally look at this and be like, I want to get rid of him or I want to move him down my rankings big time too, especially because he offers something a lot of NFL receivers don't offer, which is that post catch acceleration. Um, and that leads to fantasy points. But like you said, you got to get on the field early and you got to get yourself. I mean, the, what, what's the rapport going to be like between him and Goff anyway, right? Like when he gets on the field, like how long is it going to be between before we start to see any kind of fantasy relevant production here from Jameson Williams? Is it year three? And even at that point, is Jared Goff even the quarterback? So. There are some concerns here. From the short term standpoint, but I still have a, I'm still decently eye on him long term, especially if what I think will happen happens, which is Hendon Hooker takes over, because Hendon Hooker was, in my opinion, the best deep ball thrower besides Bryce Young in this class and on that same level. And he's just a perfect fit for Jameson Williams. So part of me is still thinking about that future of Hooker to Williams potentially, but it seems like, what am I, like, how long is that going to take (laughs) to get to that point? Right. Well, Hendon Hooker will be 30 at that point, but Dave,
1: (laughs) how many rookie wide receivers from this year's class, Dave? would you rather have on your dynasty roster today than Jamison Williams? That's a great question.
2: Uh, I think the answer is going to be four. I really do. I think there's a little bit more upside with the other guys. You know, they are JSN, Flowers, Mm -hmm. um, Johnston, not in this order, Um, but those four receivers that were taken in round one. I I would take them over Mingo just because I don't know – how long mingo can potentially be um a volume target in carolina
1: that mingo's the one i struggle with dan like the first four it's easy no question i'm taking the first four and i did not have a rookie wide receiver inside of my top 18 so like it's not like i loved those guys and just vaulted them to the top of the rankings i i have real concerns um I, i you should not go trade Jamison Williams away for the value I have him ranked at at wide <laughs> receiver forty two. No, but I'd certainly rather have John Dotson right now than him.
0: Uh, That's it's tough for me with all those guys, even even the the rookies from this class, because I just think from what I. Again, this is just leaning probably too much on the tape, but Jameson Williams was a different level prospect to me than any of these prospects except for maybe Zay Flowers who I loved. And and even with Zay Flowers, he's too is a little bit too small. But you then bring up the point like he's not going to practice or play with the team that you're you're wasting so much of this valuable time where you need to be learning getting up to speed with the NFL level. So it's like how much of that should be factored in. I think it's fair from a risk standpoint to put him lower, all, lower than all the guys you him ranked lower uh, above him, Heath, because you're, those guys don't have that same risk profile and you don't have to worry about those guys missing half of the half of the next season.
2: Let, let me mention one other thing. First of all, uh, the Lions buys in week nine. Okay. So okay. you will get Jamison Williams back in week seven. I wouldn't use him. At Baltimore, but he plays Las Vegas on Monday night after that in week eight. Uh you're I not think could actually probably not. Right. I mean, maybe if you're desperate in week eight, you can use them. But what do Ted Ginn, John Ross, and Darius Hayward Bay all have in common?
0: Fast forty yard dashes. Yep. Okay.
2: Super fast receivers. Those guys tend to have long shelf lives in the National Football League. It doesn't mean that they're gonna they were ever great for fantasy. I Rashad Perryman like super one fast, wasn't here. Perriman was very fast. The league will gravitate toward fast wide receivers, and Jameson, as long as he doesn't put on thirty pounds or continue to get in trouble off the field, right? He's gonna, he's gonna, ha- he's gonna be in demand. And I so agree. this is I just think this a is job. a way to make everybody feel a little bit better about Jamison and Dynasty. He could, he's gonna have an opportunity times like he might have four opportunities to go and be that guy that we all think he's got the potential. To be.
1: And I don't know if that makes me feel better or makes me feel worse about having the guy stuck on my roster, clogging it up, (laughs) thinking one day he's (laughs) going to have a four-week stretch like Brashad Perryman did when he could catch. (laughs) But I don't want to end on a negative note, sorry. I'm going to end on a negative note. On a positive note, we will talk to you next Tuesday.